if chiefs would value accountability over loyalty and put training their higher priorities, that's the day you're going to start seeing the line of duty deaths in the American Fire Service decrease. I honestly, sincerely believe that. Firehouse Vigilance presents The Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Morley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, this is Weekly Scrap, number 82. Tonight's guest is a 30-year veteran of the fire service. He worked his way through the ranks and retired from Fort Walton Beach as a battalion chief. He is now currently the operations chief with Midway Fire Department. He has the credentials, the paper, and more importantly, the experience. He instructs with CF Tactics, co-founder of 850 Firemen. He has taught at conferences across the country, coast to coast. And one of the most important qualifications to me, is when Chief Ike says, Shannon Stone is my right-hand man. I could not do what I do without him. That speaks volume. So, Chief Stone, it is my pleasure to have you on today as the guest of Weekly Scrap number 82. Welcome, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, we were talking a little before we started, and I'm not quite sure how I made it on here with all the guys and the heavy hitters that you have on here, man. But uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to take advantage of it. So thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I'm excited, brother. I, after... Uh, the response of when I put your picture up and the hype, you know, and the response, I'm excited. Uh, to everyone watching live, and they are logging in now, if you have questions for Shannon or myself, please do not hesitate to ask. Throw them in the comments. And, Chief, did I miss anything in the intro, anything you want to throw in there that I missed? No, you made me sound way better than I am. I appreciate it. Awesome. Humility. All right, here we go. We're already getting comments coming at you. Um, I want to start off with the 850 because um, I've been down there four times in the last year, and actually probably in the last seven months. One was vacation. The others were all catching conferences from Navarre Beach and Pensacola and Chief Ike, of course. Uh, but I have to say, is there something in the air or the water that makes so many into the job firemen in the in the panhandle of Florida up in that area? You know, I've been asked that uh, off and on uh, over the years, and uh you know, maybe there is something in the water. I don't know. Or maybe they're just some really talented guys and gals. You know, um, I've at the point of my career now where I've, I've gone most of the way and I can look back and really reflect. And, and I think over the last several decades, uh, the biggest uh, the biggest change agent has been a handful of guys that started 25, 20 plus years ago that started getting outside of their bubble. Um, you know, I had a few guys in my department I was fortunate enough to work with. And then, of course, uh, you mentioned Kurt earlier. Kurt and I have grown up in the fire service together from day one uh, when he started actually out towards me in Fort Walton and ended up in Pensacola. And, and I started my career in Fort Walton. But uh, since then, that you know, myself, him and, and a bunch of other people have just slowly been influenced by guys that have gotten outside their bubble. And I would probably say the one thing that affects the uh, A five O area the most is that uh, what started out with one and two and three, you know, three decades ago, I think, uh, has now multiplied to a, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of very talented firefighters. Um, and after traveling over the last ten years or so, doing a lot of teaching, it's really given me perspective when I come back home and I realize how good these guys and gals are. Um, and realize how fortunate I am to to be surrounded by uh, that type of culture that I, you know, Ab- that you can take for granted when you're in it all the time. You don't think Absolutely. much about it. Yeah. No, get me wrong. We've got our pockets like everybody else, some guys that aren't into the job, they, they come in for the paycheck, and that's just always going to be there, unfortunately. But I would say we have a higher percentage 
of guys that are that have really studied the job, that enjoy the job, and um, and I I would attribute that largely in part to the people uh, before us and uh, that you know provided those avenues to get outside of our bubble. And right now, the young guys, man, you know we got like we got the guys from ten to ten years that are out there just eating it up, going to these conferences, and and they don't realize it, but they're influencing us that are at the at the end of right our on. career towards the end of our career to keep motivating us. So it's, you know, it's a handful of things, but I'd say probably, you know, those few. Nice. No, and and like you said, it's easy to take it for granted because when you don't uh, – being in that, I can only imagine that. And like you said, I know that you have the turds as much as anybody, but, man, it's just so invigorating almost when you go to those different stations and see the different uh, – the fired up, gen- yeah, guys that are into it. Excellent, yeah, you know, Go ahead. You see it a lot too. Just on the way home this morning, this afternoon from work, I get a call from uh, one of my uh, mutual aid departments asking if I had some uh, hose straps because they've, they've been trying out these different hose loads. I said, "Yeah, man, I'll swing them by." And then a captain on a ladder company across the bridge on the beach calls and says, "Hey, you coming this way?" So they were already training together. So we stopped by on the way home this afternoon, spent about an hour just going over just ideas of uh, like this modified Gustin uh, pack on a flat load. It's just really cool, but. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to work in an area like that where, you know, guys are at, you know, five and six o'clock in the afternoon at various departments getting together and, and training, you know, and then I'm fortunate enough that they actually asked me to come by and hang out for a little bit. So well, and, and, and one thing to point out is it's not an accident they called you uh, because they probably expected you to say yes. You know, they have that, that relationship, that trust. Uh, you've built it, obviously, because they did call you. Yeah, and I had the straps, so they needed the straps. That's fair. So. That's fair. Okay, fair enough. Okay, back to the notes here. I want to talk. Speaking of the eight five zero, you started eight five zero firemen. So, kind of, I wanted to hear about the, the the origin of that and where it came from, and go. So, really, is it an equal part of myself and my uh, my younger brother? Um, I believe. Yeah, I know you've met my brother DJ. Uh, he's on the job as well. He he works at Fort Walton, the department I retired from. He's a battalion chief now. He's been on the job probably going on eighteen, nineteen, maybe twenty years. Um, so he and I obviously have gone through our careers together. He just started a little later than I did. And we were coming back from the Orlando fire conference. I want to say about seven, eight, nine years ago. And we kept talking about wanting to do something on social media to help represent our area in the panhandle, because we feel that, you know, we're kind of the step redheaded stepchild of Florida. You know, when you say, Hey, I'm from Florida, they immediately start thinking of Orlando and, and South of there. And it's right. like, no, it's a cold. And you're like, now Alabama. Well, yeah, kind of, sort of, but yeah, Florida. <laughs> right. Um, so long story short, we decided to do a little thing on social media back before social media was really, you know, right when it was really ramping up uh, to do something to represent the A50. And that's really all it was. And that's all it continues to be. We've done some apparel stuff, but it's it's primarily for the local guys. And it's, it's been a platform mostly for the guys and the gals from the A50 um, just to kind of represent where we're from. I mean, we're extremely proud of it. And, uh, you know, and then. And that's just kind of our way to show it here. Some people think it's a training group. They think it more it's more than what it is, but it really isn't. It's just, you know, firemen from the A50 uh, sharing their love for the job. I know? love it. It's it's take pride in where they're from, man. And kind of just beyond department, you know, it's it, it crosses those those boundaries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jeff Stone said that redheaded ch- stepchild called the 850 is driving change in every fire station in America. What's up there, chief? Newly promoted chief, Jeff Stone. Nice. So we've got a ton of comments. I won't even read them all. Uh, I'm just going to kind of scan through here because mostly it's hype for you being on game time with the best from Joey Hayes. 
Uh, Legend of the Screen, y'all, from Jacob Johnson. Uh, Brian Costello says, Chief Ike and Stone are next level. Then And uh, Nuggets from the Right Seat, Missouri Winter Fire School. Thanks for all the insight and nuggets, Chief Stone. That came from Dustin Duncan. Uh, Sean Duffy chiming in. Everybody, I mean, yeah, it's exciting. We're getting going here. So back to my notes, pulling up. I want to get into this because someone just mentioned it. The Nuggets from the Right Seat. But, oh, wait. Before I get there, I want to talk with, uh, you know, before I bring people on the show, I try to research them. So I call people who have either seen your conference or been to a lecture or one of your friends and – uh, so, but the thing I got from researching you is that whether they use this term or not, is that you have a high level of emotional intelligence. So what I want to know in your own words is how did you develop or get to your current level of emotional intelligence? Well, I'll take that as a compliment. Um, by doing stupid shit and learning from it. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I have a lot of, I have a lot of empathy for people. I, I, I like to think I have a lot of empathy to begin with, but I certainly do for younger firefighters because, you know, my first 10 to 15 years were, were somewhat uh, a roller coaster. Um, you probably, you probably could have asked somebody early in my career if they thought I would have been a chief. And I'm, I'm sure just about everybody would have said no, including myself. I never had plans to be a chief. Um, but I, I would say, you know, learning from the first 20 years and the last 10, especially the last probably six or seven, um, I've really done a lot of reflection and, and, and quite honestly matured, I guess, is the way, you know, I do a part of my class that I've added recently to my class about, you know, owning our mistakes and own, uh, owning our actions and, and, you know, owning our consequences. And a lot of that has to do with maturity, which in my opinion, maturity equals wisdom. And it helps that, you know, that I have three children, you know, uh, the youngest being 13, the oldest being 22, that's helped me develop. So, you know, and that, and, and a side note too, I have kind of studied communication, you know, uh, uh, guys like John Maxwell and a handful yeah. of others, uh, there's a local guy named Bob Murphy that teaches with the student group where he used to, and he does a lot of stuff. And I've really listened to him and understanding that communication and, and how you react emotionally is either going to help what you're trying to do, or it's going to hurt what you're trying to do. And the problem with firefighters, and I'm one of them, so I'm not knocking anybody. If anybody, I'm knocking myself, is that we're so passionate. Um, and that passion equals uh, emotion. And when the emotion comes out, sometimes it doesn't work the way we do. And when it doesn't work the way we do, we're really good on getting social media and really venting. And then when we vent on social media, we get validation on social media from people saying, yeah, you're right. When the reality is, is nobody really wrong, but it's not helping our cause because it just continues to emotionally drive us. So I'm kind of getting on a sidebar, but, but the point Love being, it. I guess, to answer your question, I think it has a lot to do with maturity. It has a lot to do with making a lot of mistakes in my career. It has a lot to do with guys that I trust, uh, whether they're close personal friends or they're very close professional friends that, that have been very upfront and honest with me about my actions and, and, uh, and what I did and, I guess, fortunately, I've, you know, I've listened to, I like to think I've listened to them and that's helped me get to the point where I'm at now where, you know, I mean, I don't think I'm that good at it, but I, I certainly think I'm better at 50 than I was at 40 and at 30. So that's growth, man. That's awesome. Now you got my, you got my brain working here. Cause, um, my own tr- career trajectory, if you'd asked if I'd ever been a battalion chief, people would have laughed early on in my career. You know, it'd been a punchline. Yeah. So I kind of want to know, was there a, was there a, uh, a moment that changed it? Can you really pin it down or was it, was it just a gradual, like, I just kind of wanted some insight into the difference. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, if, if not me, then who, if not you, then who, 
uh, that's where I, that's where I kind of got, I did, um, I was really fortunate. You know, I spent almost 10 years as a captain, nine, nine and a half years as a captain and had the opportunity to promote or to test for battalion chief twice. And I passed it up and I passed it up for two primary reasons. One, I just, I really loved what I did, you know, being a, being a boss on a rig and having the ability to, to influence people, small groups, you know, um, was very special to me. And, and secondly, I, I worked most of my career for a battalion chief that, that I enjoyed working for, you know, he, I learned a tremendous amount from him operationally, more so than I probably learned from anybody in my career, you know, and, and, and the way he kind of led just kind of motivated me. And, and I had no reason to, um, and I really had no desire to, to be honest with you, um, you know, and he got to a point where he retired and, and I really didn't like the options of where I was going to go, uh, working in a smaller department, you can kind of figure out, you know, the roadmap right, of right. where you're going. And I can tell you, and I, they, they, we, we typically don't put strong leaders with strong leaders. They get kind of mixed matched. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I had, you know, guys around me over the years that were encouraging me to do it. Um, so, you know, that's really what led me to promotion. And then I spent the first uh, one to two years, I, I want to say, I, I pretty much struggled in the position, uh, in my own mind at least, because, you know, I went from having the ability to control uh, and influence small groups because I knew them so well to being a battalion chief to where you – become separated quickly and you have to rely on your leaders, uh, which are your captains and your lieutenants to really affect uh, that influence. So your ability to influence and your ability to lead is, I think it is, a, is much greater at a battalion level than it is a captain's level. And, and it threw me for a loop. And, you know, the reality was, is I was off the rig and that's a lonely, lonely place until you get used to it when you're not on the rig with everybody. Uh, I, even at the point where I, you know, I had asked my wife, I talked to her time and time again, that I wanted to go back. She was not crazy about it. She was, had, she had some comfort in me being off the rig for whatever, you know, obviously not having to, I guess, worry. And, and I guess about a year, a little over a year into it, she just looked at me one day and she goes, you know what, go back. Says, you know, you're going to be happy, go back. So uh, to make a long story short, I looked at the, the money and longevity and, it just wasn't the best thing for my family, which was the best thing I did. Because about eight or nine months later, which almost at a two-year mark, I started getting a little bit of a comfort zone. Nice. And at that point, you know, uh, the job became a little bit more fun. Fast forward years later, um, I'm in a position now where I feel like I get to do things to help where I was at. So the guys on, on at the company level, the guys, quite honestly, the most important ones, they're doing – they're doing a lot of crazy shit and a lot of dangerous stuff when everybody else is sleeping. I have the opportunity to help those guys at now right. in a position on that now. So for me that, you know, where I'm at now, uh, because I somewhat unwillingly stepped into a position, um, it was one of the best things that happened to me in my career. So that was kind of my career path to be on battalion chief, I guess. Right on. No, dude, that's, a, that's, uh, and it's, it's crazy because the biggest mind screw that I went through was going off the engine into battalion chief, getting in the buggy. Not being a, not basically in my head, not being a firefighter no more, you know. Yep. Uh, and uh, about six months in, I was ready to to hang it up and say, "Uh, uh-uh, this is not for me." Um, but like you said, you get to the point where you understand your job is now taking care of the guys who take care of the the patients. You know, your your job is take care of the guys who take care of the fires. And so, um, yeah, it's beautiful, man. Now you've gone on to to uh, gone from battalion chief to operations chief. How was that transition? That's one I haven't done, and I, I I will swear on something that I will never do it. So, how was yeah. it? Me too. Me too. <laughs> you know, my transit, my my career retirement plan, 
and, and most of my, all my friends know this. A lot of the guys that I know, you know, through the job know this was, was, you know, I worked at Escambia County for 14 years as a firefighter over there. I started in the nineties, uh, left and went back. Escambia is very unique. You can work part-time and do stuff like that. So I did that. And I had 14 years and 14 years in a state pension. So my intent was to retire from Fort Walton and to go right backwards over there with the hopes of either being, you know, in the core of the County, uh, where the fires happen or, way outside in the beaches where they don't happen. But either way, that was my plan. And leading up to that, uh, I had an opportunity to present itself um, that, uh, you know, as an operations chief. And, you know, I guess to make the long short of it, uh, after looking at everything, you know, not just pay, but, you know, my health and, and everything else, you know, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many of my friends, my close friends, including my wife, reminded me that, hey, you know, you're about to be 50 years old right. and you backwards and where you're going to fires on a regular basis like it sounds fun and i'm sure you still enjoy it and you can do it but it's probably not in the best interest of your health long-term wise. longevity so yeah played into it and then having the ability to possibly go to work as an operations chief for a for a department that already had an, a culture established um where you don't have to go in and explain to people why it's important to put the gear on the floor and get ready for the next fire in the firehouse um to having a chief that that wanted um, a operational base guy to come in and wanted him to implement things that he thought was important operationally and willing to give that person, which ended up being me, the latitude to do the things that I thought um, a fire department should do to set them up for success on operations. So once I started looking at it, it became kind of exciting of the opportunity to kind of do that. And I found myself once again in the position of my career as to whether I was going to take my own advice or not. <laughs> Right. So the time, you know, if not you, then who? Right. I think you can do it. And you're given a seat at the table. Um, it's your opportunity to, to step up and do it. And if you don't do it, then just be careful how much shit you bitch about because you're passing up Ooh. the opportunity. And most likely somebody may get it that may not do it as well as you. So for me, stepping into the position, I mean, I, I've told guys a bunch like, uh, you know, I've talked to talk for years, man. I've sat back like firefighters and criticized and said, I think chiefs should do this. I think they should do that. I would do it if I was near, but now I've got to walk the walk, you know, and I don't know what the end answer is going to be. I'll, I'll tell you probably in three or four years. Right. Uh, I'm 12 months into it and it, it, it's going well so far um, for, for several reasons. One, I stepped into an organization that I've actually worked in off and on over the years. So I knew the guys and two, you know, I, I, I we're, we're just, we're taking it day by day. You know, some think we're going fast, but we're actually kind of going slow and the guys have a heavy, heavy hand in the direction that we're taking the organization. That's all. It sounds like a match made in heaven for you. I mean, honestly, from the, from the way you're describing it to me. So it is, I couldn't, I say all the time, I couldn't be more fortunate for several reasons. One, I get to work for a great boss who, you know, I've known for a very long time. I came to the fire service with secondly, an equally important man. There, there's just some great, there's some great firemen at the department that I work at, you know, That's the awesome. Midway fire district, man, there, there's some solid, they're solid dudes ethically. Uh, they're, they're, they're solid dudes when it comes to the job. And and they're and, and almost all of them, pretty much all of them, are wide open to want to get better. So, I mean, really, I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better to step into. So. That's awesome. I got a question coming at you from Reese Eastham. He said, where was your time spent, engine or truck? How was it split, if both? All right. That's a good question. I was on a, uh, I was on a Tringen. 
right? <laughs> the trick. Kyle the right. day. I was watching the podcast. My brother called me the other day. He's like, dude, you watch Kyle's podcast there on Firehouse Bench? I said, no. He's like, you got to go watch it, man. He took everybody to school. So literally a couple of days ago in my office, I read it and I heard, I heard Kyle say that. And he's right. Yeah. I was on a trend. And so most of my career, I was assigned to a truck company, which is a 75-foot Quint. And the area that I worked in had the Fulham Beach area has nine stations right outside of it. Within a couple of miles, we got another six or seven stations. Typical suburban America fracture. But I worked on a truck company, but we did primarely engine, engine work. Ninety-five percent right. of the times, we were stretching lines. You know, we were we were the ladder that didn't matter. You know, we were confused half the time. But one thing we actually did really well was we stretched lines. So I, I joke around all the time that I was assigned to a truck company for the for most of the time I was a captain. But really, it's engine work. That's that's what we did. Right. So if I had to answer the question on a truck, but engine work. No, that's fair. And I think like you, I mean, honestly, my experience, that's most of America. It is. It yeah. really is. It really. Yeah. So. Uh, thank you, Chief Stone. Enjoy your knowledge and experience. I had one in here I wanted to read, which is from Jeff Stone. I don't know if it's related or not, but he said, Time for nuggets from the left front seat, the Chief's car, real world experience. Say, Jeff, I'm working on that. That's my brother from another mother. We're okay. not related, but we kind of are. Uh, yeah, I thought, I, I, honestly, in all seriousness, I thought about that, but it, the crazy thing is, is I, I was a battalion chief for 11 years, right at 11 almost 12 years and then now a year into this and I, I don't even feel like I'm ready to I don't feel like I have enough experience to do that yet I mean I could if you asked me to but I don't feel comfortable maybe in another five or six I may okay uh, I'll hold you to it you know we got it on we got it on record right here uh, Jake Hill said the ladder that don't matter or the ladder with a bladder so alright yeah, I'm pulling up the notes here Oh, there's Kyle. Kyle chimed in and said, Chief Stone is my hero. All right. So uh, the Nuggets from... Listen, Kyle's my hero. I wish I'd get his mustache and his deep voice. I'll be super cool. Yes. That's all I can say is both. Um, So Nuggets from the right seat. I have a bootleg copy. I won't say where I got it from, Kyle. And uh, it's from PDX. I don't even know what year or how many revisions it has seen as you've worked on it. So I don't even know when it's from. But I took a whole bunch of quotes from it, and I'm going to just throw them at you and let you – you can uh, deep dive on them, pass on them, uh, chase squirrels, do whatever you want to do with the quotes. Uh, and I just want to kind of pick your brain about it. And, of course, anything uh, the audience wants to throw as we talk about it. So um, you say – and it's, I love this right at the, pretty much at the beginning of your presentation or early on. And it's easy to make decisions when you're not making the decision. Yeah. So that's what we do as firefighters, right? I mean, we sit back, we Monday morning quarterback, uh, and we're all guilty of it, myself included. I just use an example myself saying, if I was the chief, I would do this, that, and the other. You know, but the reality is, especially, so that class Nuggets is primarily the, the target audience of the Nuggets from Right Seat is company officers. It's designed to give the company officers insight into what they're stepping into because the vast majority of fire departments don't provide an officer development program. They certainly don't provide a mentorship program or some type of two, three, four week, couple month academy. It's pretty much like when I got promoted, you know, you're a firefighter, you know, you're driving one day and then you're, you're moved to the right seat the next to be a captain. And then two shifts later, they bump you up to ride a battalion by you. That's the way a lot of the American fire service works, which makes no sense. But the, um, but the core of the class is designed uh, primarily to be around uh, the company officer. And what a lot of firefighters don't realize is that until you're in that right seat yes. and you have to make those time compressed decisions, 
Um, they don't realize how difficult it is. Now, I'm asking you, you're shaking your head. Yes, clearly you've already been down oh, this yeah. road. Oh, yeah. This is most, solid. Just everybody, yeah, just about everybody you talk to will say the same thing. I mean, most firefighters, you know, that you'd say this that haven't been exposed to that, they'll listen to you and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I mean, I can kind of see it until they actually go through it. Right. Until they actually pull up to their first working structure fire. God forbid somebody's trapped or something outside the norm of just stretching one or two lines and putting it out. It's extremely stressful, and it's a, it's a lot more difficult to make those time-compressed decisions uh, on emergency scenes than what they think. You know, and equally important, it's it's even more difficult at times to make some of the decisions within the firehouse. When you start talking about oh, there you go. personal skills, the firehouse, the personality, especially if you're a young officer, it makes it even more difficult. So the point being is that, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, those decisions are easy to make a lot of times until you're the guy or the gal that has to make those decisions. And you realize quickly they can become somewhat complicated. Right. You know? and, you, and you find quickly, too, that you may not be as good as you thought you were. Um, you know, and I'll use myself as an example because I was a young officer. I got promoted at 29 years old to captain in my department. I started when I was 19. I got promoted at 29, which at the time was the youngest uh, officer to get promoted in my department. Not a big deal. Small you know, older city. We've, we've only been paid since like the fifties. So it wasn't like it was this big thing, but the point being, uh, I was put in charge of guys that were in their thirties. Uh, the driver I was assigned to, they give us my driver. They gave me was 48 that I beat out on the captain's exam. Oh, wow. Yeah. You want to talk about you know, like an immediate yeah. <laughs> challenge. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, decisions are way more easier when you're not making them. Just wait till you get in that position. You find out how difficult they are. No, that's, uh, oh, man, uh, Rice Eastham is throwing another question at you, so I want to—I'll just—I'll just take it here. He said, "If if you had to look back at your younger self, what would you tell yourself based on what you know now?" As a, he says, as a lieutenant or junior officer, but yeah, old self to younger self, go. Don't be a fucking dumbass. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm joking, but there's actually some seriousness in that, you know, and I, and I was fortunate. I did have some guys who really told me to get my head out of my ass. I did spend uh, the first part of my career, you know, somewhat immature. And, and a lot of my uh, guys that I learned what fought, father figures in the fire service really got me on track. But in all seriousness, if I had to kind of lay it out there, um, I, I think probably one of the biggest things I would say is, is you mentioned earlier emotional intelligence. Um, you know, and I was that I was a captain, um, you know, from 29 to almost 39 years old. Uh, in my 30s, more mature, but I was very much, a, you know, a steamroller to a certain extent that, you know, if you didn't see it my way or you couldn't convince me that your way was the best way to do it, then, you know, I had about two seconds and I didn't listen to you and I moved on. And the way I communicated it, I think sometimes um, isolated myself and, and closed down uh, relationships that would uh, prevent me from building things later on, whether wow. it was with other chief officers or company officers. So I would say that, like, you know, one of the things I just did, I was just out in uh, San Antonio doing a thing for the Fools. It's like one of the first times I've taught in the last year or so since I took this new job. But one of the things I put in there was you were talking about owning your owning your actions, you know, owning your behaviors, owning your consequences, and grow up. And, that, and when I had that on the screen, I was really talking about me. Like what I went through probably, quite honestly, in my late 30s and my 40s, grow up and mature. Take a breath. It's not You're not always going to get it the way you want to get it. You know, and if it doesn't work, the question is, if it doesn't work, what are you going to do to make it work? Not to say screw them and and move on uh, because that that never works. So I guess 
the advice would be more along the lines of understanding how to mature and to uh, react differently and understand that if you don't, if things don't go the way you plan, because with firefighters, it get frustrating. Like when you, when somebody comes and tells you like, we need to be having this standard flow. We need to have these low pressure nozzles so we can get this flow to meet, you know, the standard industry. Uh, we need to look at different hose loads because, you know, it all makes sense to us. Like when I explain it to you and I show you, like you got to be an idiot if you don't fucking get it. Right. You know, and when you, when we do that and that's the way we relay it and we don't get the responses we back, what we want back, then we act even more emotionally. So, yeah, I mean, I guess when I go back and I share the same thing with many conversations with officers that I mentor now is to think about your actions. Think about how you're going to react. And don't forget, when you do, when you do react, everybody is watching. Everybody, which means it's the firefighters that you have the honor to lead. So that so that 25-year-old kid or that 22-year-old 20, kid, you know, and they see the way that their officer who they respect and they admire and they look up to and they want to emulate – and how they react to something they don't get want, but that, that they don't uh, get that they want. I mean, that's that, that's it. that's the sidebar that we don't even talk about the right. impact. The impact because what those firefighters are going to do is if they respect and they look up to you, don't be surprised five or six year, years later when they're emulating your behavior, and then you find yourself in my position in your forties or fifties, and you're going back and you're having to get, wait a second, guys, hold up, like I acted wrong. You shouldn't you shouldn't do it that way. Let me explain it to you. You know what I'm saying? No. Speaking from example, I've had guys that, that I've worked with and I've been guilty of it, you know? So I work really, really hard to, to, I guess, try to give the advice of, of, of what the gentleman was asking, you know, to the younger officers to, I don't know, hopefully try to avoid that a little bit. Maybe. No doubt. It's not just what would you tell yourself? It's what you're actually telling your young guys now. Yes. That, that's yes, beautiful. Yes. That's beautiful, man. No, that is. Uh, James Denny said, Chief Stone is seriously one of the most humble chiefs who cares. Glad to have met Chief Stone and understand that chiefs of his stature are among us spreading knowledge. Kurt Isaacson says, I always thought you were right. They were wrong. So I have to give that one a laugh. And then the Stone Brothers quote on our daily roster. Motivation is found when purpose is discovered. And that came from John Naninga. And uh, Sean Kinsey said, as someone getting ready to graduate from academy, what is something that you look for in a candidate to hire? Attitude and values. That's easy, man. I mean, we, we do it now. And the, the organization I'm in now in Fort Walton was really good at doing it as well. Um, but, you know, that's that's a great question that, that I have got a lot of control over in the organization I'm at now because we've hired, you know, two rounds of hires. We've uh, put a ladder company on duty in the 12 months that I've been there. And we've kind of revamped our hiring process. And, and we the hiring process looks really simple. It looks like this. We hire the person, not the qualifications. Don't get me wrong. The qualifications are important. But we have bypassed quite a few paramedics. And in Florida, that's a big deal. In the state of Florida, most of Florida is advanced life support, fire rescue. We're, and, and we're really no different up here in the panhandle. Um, we have, in my job, we have more paramedics and nurses than we do have EMTs. So, um, but we will pass up a paramedic in a heartbeat. In fact, we've not only passed up paramedics, we passed up people who weren't even EMTs, and we've hired just certified firefighters, which means for us as an organization that we have to invest time right. and money. Time and money and send them to school, time and money to pay them overtime where they're in school, time and money where they're away from the fire department, not getting the fire training they actually need. But we did that because of the fact that we hired the individual. We hired the person because that person is what we're investing in. We're not investing in their qualifications because – the thing is, is if I get a guy with a good attitude and a good value system, we're good. You know, I, we'll, we'll teach him. We'll, we'll, we'll teach him how to be a good fireman. It may, it may take one guy, 
you know, a few years or this guy a year, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll get them there. But if you walk into our organization and your value system sucks, we ain't changing you. That's what that, your parents screwed up on that one, I guess. I don't know. But when you get in, as, especially as a man, you know, your value system, if it's not established, it, it becomes difficult. Two things change your value system, in my opinion, religion and women. <laughs> okay. Seriously. I like you it. find religion, it'll change it. And you find a wonderful lady, you know, that you fall in love with, they'll change you as well. But we're not in the business of doing that and the fire service can't do it. Gratitude is your second thing, man. Have an all-in attitude. You come in and have an all-in attitude. I used to tell guys all the time, I'll give you a 10-year experience guy. He's got, a, he's got a crappy attitude, but he's really good at a fire. He knows exactly what he's doing. Or you can take the one-year probie guy that doesn't know his asthma hole in the ground, but he's all in. He's physically fit. He's got a great attitude. Which one you would take? If you'd asked me as a young captain, I would have told you the 10-year guy. Now I'm taking the one-year guy all day long. I just The 10-year guy, I'd put on a damn chair outside the engine bay and pick him up on the way out. And that's a small percentage of what we do. So, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm starting to ramble now. No, it's beautiful, Chief. Keep it coming, man. That's what makes the scrap so good is these rabbit holes. So just don't ever – yeah, go. Yeah, attitude and values, man. I mean, there's more to it. But, I mean, if you if I had to narrow it down, I would, I would absolutely say that. And I, and I say this, you know, uh, I'm super proud of the organization I'm at now. And our last group of hires, I mean, that's exactly what we did. We bypassed people with higher qualifications. And we, we looked at it seriously. Like, what do you bring to the table – to make this organization better and to make our people in our organization better. Now, this utterly you know, a lot of firefighters this, this, don't realize we dug that deep into that, but in, in our interview board did that, and and we went with well, hell, we went with what they recommended. You know, after a lot of vetting and and and, and discussions about the guys that we were hiring. No, this fast, this utterly fascinates me because I've said it now on since promoting on three hiring classes now, uh, you know, interview panels and and tons of interviews. What. Do you have a do you have a metric or a system? And I think this would be so helpful if you can articulate it. How you measure those those values? Is it is it a gut feeling? Is it a a is it a art? I don't know what I'm. You know what I'm trying to ask is how do you find the, how do you identify those values in this hiring system? Yeah, I don't know, man. That's a good question. Um, one of our fire commissioners, Bob Murphy, I mentioned him earlier. Um, I've known Bob for quite a few years. He's actually one of the original volunteers in Midway Fire District, which for those of y'all that don't don't know, Midway Fire District sits right outside of uh, the city of Pensacola. If you've ever been to a conference and you cross over from the city into the beach, you kind of cross over into the district where Midway is. But he he works uh, for the student group, which is an evidence-based healthcare leadership uh, group that they teach leadership based on evidence, which means they collect statistics and they basically be it. They, they teach leadership based on objective facts. And he actually sent me something a while back about how to measure those very qualities that you have, because it's a great question. And I don't have a good answer to it because he and I were having the same discussion. I'm like, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. Like we just ask really good questions and, and we do our best to make the judgment calls uh, with a collective group of four or five guys on a hiring board, you know, and we, we make judgment calls, but he had, and I wish I would have, thought about it i could have it here and give you a better answer but he literally sent me some stuff that, okay. that actually measures uh those types of things well i'm so, gonna get his info from you so that i can have him as a guest on the scrap because that 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 utterly fascinates me is how to find and identify attitude and values more than just what they come and tell you on the interview although yeah i, ha- I will say this firemen are great at seeing through bullshit but uh they still yeah I, I want to i want to know anybody who's put the research into it or had success with it 
Lots of questions coming at you here from the. I'm trying to find questions, guys. So give me one second while I'm scanning here. Coming from a young officer, how do you go about a chief that only does it his way? Other firefighters are getting bad attitude. A very small volunteer department. Tough question. That is a tough question because it's it, it's uh, that that you can ask that same question and you have varying answers based on the personality of the individual that you're talking about. Absolutely. I, w- I would say that uh, you know. Your community, the way you communicate with your chief, understand. First and foremost, you got to meet their expectations of your of your battalion chief, right? Or, or your immediate or your immediate report. If you can meet those expectations, or better yet, exceed those ex- expectations, nice. your life gets easier. And I would imagine I've only been in career. I've have never been a volunteer, but human, you know, human behavior is very is the same. Right. And I would imagine that same analogy would apply to volunteers as well. So you're, you're probably wondering where I'm going with that. Where, this is where I'm going. When your boss is happy and you're meeting their expectations, do you think that may open up that communication chain with them? Nice. Do you think that may start creating what, what I call in my classes, and I didn't think of it, I saw it in some class, but a communication platform where you now have the ability to communicate a little bit better with them because they're a little bit more open to listen to what you have to say? Once you get to that point, how you communicate that, you know, as, as like ideas or thoughts or things for him to think about or, or her to think about as opposed to saying, well, this is the way I think it should be done because it's not being done correctly. A lot of times we will say things, but we won't realize what we're truly saying or what they're what they perceive. That we're what they're saying. hearing, right? What they're hearing, right? So you need to communicate in a way and it's tough. And, it, and, and honestly, it takes studying communication. It takes maturity and wisdom and figuring out what doesn't work and trying things again, but you got to communicate. Hold up. I lose you, chief. And, 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 and creating those platforms are huge because if you can't do that, then you're probably never going to get to the point where, uh, they're going to feel it's important for them to listen to what you have to say. So it's all about building those relationship platforms. And I screwed them up early in my career. I did. I handled them wrong and I, and those doors got closed for me, you know, and, and, and fortunately as I've gone, I realized how important that is that, you know, it's, you don't always have to be right. You know, I mean, you really don't. What's your end game? What are you really trying to do? I, I could give two shits about winning an argument, to be honest with you. Right on. I love this. We're really trying to get, yes. You know? Um, it's something I read the, the difference between being right and being effective you know what I'm saying you sometimes they're the same but sometimes you anyway I love it yeah. uh, and the other part that I want to I want to platform on that when you talk about communication platform if you do achieve that and you are working on that relationship and open up that line of communication and you're not seeing progress you might need to look in the mirror so it may not be the chief who's the problem so I would 100% agree with that yeah uh, let me see what I've got here for the new step up BC. How do you manage distractions on the fire ground so that you don't miss the small details that matter? They're, they're throwing hmm. some, some tough ones, brother. You're not getting well, any. Thought. Yeah. I'll let you in a little secret, man. You don't, you don't listen. Uh, you want to be humbled really quick as a battalion chief or an officer, uh, videotape your calls, wear a helmet cam, wear a GoPro, uh, speaking from experience. I, I say this all the time. It's a great question. I say this all the time. Man, I wore I, I videotaped um, the vast majority of my calls through a helmet cam and a GoPro. Where I worked, we didn't go to fires every day. We went to just enough fires to say we went to them, and we went to not enough to say we needed to go to more. But 
I would venture to say like that a, we we did a decent amount where you could get experience. And I can tell you that when you go back and you watch uh, these videos and you realize the things that you miss, you know, it was one time a year and a half before I retired, I missed a close call. It literally evolved in front of my camera. And I was, I was kind of, my peripheral vision was to the left and, I, and the guys were bailing out of, of, a, of a door that was lighting up, a room that was lighting up to my right. I never even saw it. And you want to talk about getting kicked in the gut. And at the time, I had nine years under my belt as a battalion chief, nine years as a captain. You would think that you would catch stuff. But the reality is, is that you don't all the time. It's so fast and evolving. Um, So I guess what I would say is, one, be patient. Two, study the job. Attach yourself to people that have done it before you. Listen to their advice. Use their advice. Videotape your calls. Go back reevaluate those calls, share with your people your mistakes. Who gives a shit what people are going to think? Trust me, you gain more respect and trust by sharing with them your mistakes and what you did wrong, what you're going to do to fix it by setting the example, right? Nice. Um, but I would certainly say the last 10 years since the videotaping, you know, with you know the, all the technology, that's been one of the biggest benefits for me that I encourage people to do. Most of my videos, I, I've only used a handful of them for my classes. I never post them on social media. I just don't. It's just not me. I, but, I, but I use them for, you know, interdepartmental, intercompany type training. And it's been big time. I can only, yeah, I can only imagine. And, and Smoothboard Cartel Kyle chiming in says, facts, the camera does not lie. There's no doubt. And, it'll, and listen, it'll humble you quick, man. I'm telling you. When you think you know your shit, go watch your own videos. And you'll realize that the small details... Not only the small details you miss visually, but you're missing what you oh, hear. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, shit, I didn't hear that radio traffic, you know? But it's 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 part of the job, man. It, it, it is, a, man. When you go to work, man, it's it can be it can be a complicated job when you're under stress. I, you know, we build playbooks, training playbooks, and in the playbook, we've got a simple thing that says every single play, keep everything three steps or less. I don't know where I got that from. I don't. I just know in my experiences. If I had any more. And three steps in a process under stress. What is simple sitting in the bay becomes complicated under stress. Love so it. everything that we do, we build, we try to build with less than three steps in mind because of the fact that we know that we start exceeding that, no matter how good you are, you're going to miss things. It's no different back to the original question. It's no different than the battalion chief trying to process five or six things and within a 20-second period is extremely difficult. And the only way that you close the gap on that is studying the job and gaining experience. If you're not working in the busy department, you're not going to fires every single day. You have to do the you other side. Get, you, yes. Yes. Preach, man. You're getting me fired up. Just listening. I like it. Solid stuff right there. Tyler Whitfield sums it up beautifully. Um, no, I, we don't, I don't, we don't videotape, but just the other day we had a, uh, just a, a working structure fire and, we, during our critique of it, we played the audio back for dispatch, just the, just the record with all the dead space taken out, which wasn't a lot. But it was uh, it's humbling just doing the audio and me having yes. to admit my mistakes there to the crews, which, you know, you have to own them so you can get better. That's all you can do. Yeah, that's that's one of the uh, first questions I ask officers when we're doing officer development. And I do a lot of mentoring. I mean, not an official mentoring, but I talk to a lot of officers. The guys have just come up through the ranks, and I tell you, man, videotaping is one of the other thing that I tell them that we can all do. I said, "You ever pulled your tape?" I said, "What do you mean? You ever pulled your tape and dispatch and listen right. to yourself?" No, said, dude, do it. Like I, you can have a perfect fire and everything look good, but listen to yourself, and you'll sit back and you're like, "Holy oh, shit!" 
<laughs> did I talk that fast? Right. That was one of the things for me. I listened to video tapes. I got tons of audio tapes. And one of the things that I did not realize that I did um, was that um, that when, as the incident ramped up, I, 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 I increased my uh, – you're my dog barking. They're good. Crazy. I love dogs. Um, I increased my speed in my conversation, um, uh, which made it at times – Sometimes difficult to understand. Sure. It's difficult to understand. But when I look back and go say, uh, Chief, what was that? And I go listen to my tapes and I realize that my speed of my uh Just the my tempo, just the, the rapid fire. Tempo. Yeah. Not necessarily in the voice or anything, just how quickly that I talk. Kind of like I'm talking now. I get in a rush and I'm just clicking, clicking, clicking. But I would have never known that if I didn't pull it. I literally wouldn't have known that if I didn't pull the tapes. And now with videotaping, you can heal, hear yourself on the radio. So, yeah, man, you know. Videotapes and, and, and dispatch tapes, you know, go pull them and listen to yourself. That they, they, You're missing the boat on improving if you don't do that. Beautiful. Uh, man, we're rolling. I'm not even using my notes. We haven't even touched the notes I made for the questions to ask you. But I'm going to go right into this one because um, you kind of touched on it right there. So it's a good segue because you said if you do not, as a leader, have a way to measure or have self-awareness, you will not grow as a leader. I love, 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 love this quote. Go. It's tough, man. It's tough. So you want to you want to create an environment that uh, you want to create an environment where people feel comfortable talking to you. So you know, I tell officers all the time, especially new officers, you got to tell you, you know part of your expectations need to be that like you know you expect people to talk to you. Well, you got to you got to make it a little clearer than that. So let me back up a little bit. I'll give you an example. So as an operations chief coming in, I'm big into expectations. I'm big into writing things down just because I, I understand that if you, if you don't write them down, they're not as clear. And it just, you kind of position your people uh, to fail because they're having to guess or, or actually remember what you said. So I like writing things down, nothing too crazy, just the basics. So I had like a one page expectation from my battalion chiefs right after I came in uh, the fire department. And uh, one of the biggest expectations was is I expect you to tell me what I need to know that I may not want to hear. Mm. I don't want you to worry about hurting my feelings. That my expectation for you is tell me what I what I have to know um, that nobody else is going to tell me. And the same thing holds true as a company officer, except you handle it a little bit different way. I call it an inviting dissent. So create an atmosphere that when you get back from calls, hey man, what do you think? What did you see? You know, don't be afraid to ask questions. I want to share what I'm thinking with you. You know, when you invite dissent and you get guys to ask you why you do what you do, it opens up a whole nother realm of communication. It opens up a whole nother realm of trust where you can have those conversations. Because when you make a mistake or you stretch to the wrong direction and you didn't quite realize it, but you got guys that are willing to question you on it because they're going to question you because they know that you're not going to feel like your authority is challenged. Challenge. But you welcome it. You want to hear it. And you want to have those discussions over a cup of coffee. And you're the type of guy that if you made a mistake or you didn't make the right decision, you want to know because collectively you want to make the best decision for the group so the shit doesn't happen again. Right. If you build that atmosphere, you you build you that is, in my opinion, that is a way to create a mechanism of, of creating that self awareness. And it's not easy to do. Like I'm I'm doing oh. an organization I'm at now. I mean, in my position, it's even more difficult because I'm at the second highest position in a small department, the second highest position. So trying to communicate that all the way down the ranks um, is is a little bit more challenging. But, you know, you lay it out in written expectations. And and for me, I do something that a, a chief uh, did with me. His name is Mike Dutton. 
Um, he's a fire chief I worked for for many years, retired out of D.C., came to Fort Walton. He's probably not watching this. I wish he was because I, I tell him how great of a fire chief he was, but I learned a tremendous amount. But he used to come visit us on Fridays. And I remember as a captain when the fire chief would come to my firehouse, and he'd sit down and he'd talk to me. And he'd be like, man, what's going on? And it was our opportunity with no chain of command to ask questions, to vent, or just to bullshit about things that didn't matter. And you know, that's a, that's something I learned from him that I I do at the department I'm at now. Nice. Try to help build uh, that atmosphere where people feel comfortable talking, asking questions, asking the why behind what we do. Because being that the fire service is very much, you know, it's not authoritarian, but it's very, you know, uh, paramilitary. So there is a lot of like, well, you get your orders, and especially if you're down here, you don't ask questions up here. We right. just don't do that. So the bosses and the leaders of the fire service have to create, you know, that conduit so that you get that reciprocating feedback. And of course, it starts with your upper leaders. For me, it's my battalion chiefs. You know, they have got to understand the philosophy and they've got to be in line. We all have to be in line because if we're not, we're just fighting against each other. Absolutely. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a not easy, but it's a big deal. You know, Marshall Boyd summed it up with his comment. He said, amazing advice. And it all starts with open, honest relationships. And, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, man, it takes, uh, I don't know the right word. It's a, I don't, it's not a lack of ego. It's an ego in check to be able to hear, those mistakes or or critiques or honesty thrown at you you know there's not everybody can handle it because the defensive walls will go up for 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 many and it's tough too and i'll tell you one i'll tell you one of the biggest challenges i think i'm i've faced the latter part of my career and it's really weird because i I, i'm going to share with you something that i really haven't talked much about honestly until you just said it um is you can work extra hard to have those communications, right? I have no ego. I really don't. I mean, if you talk to my friends, there's no ego in it. I mean, some people may think differently that don't know me because as you go through your career, you create a reputation based on your actions, mostly on the fire ground and some, you know, quite a bit in the firehouse. But the the ability to, to, uh, to communicate and to put your ego aside, yet... The reputation that you have as you build it throughout your career, if you're an assertive fire officer, if you're the person on the fire ground, whether you're a company officer or a battalion chief, if things aren't going right, you step in and you make them right, or at least to the best of your ability when people are being passive. That reputation that you have of being that guy actually trickles over into the firehouse because people are hesitant at times because of your reputation to be open. You know what I'm saying? Does that kind of make sense? Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, yes. There's a a tough balance. I was dealing with something today that at the firehouse, I won't say what, because it's not a big deal, but I'm like, where did they get that from? Like (laughs) we've done nothing like anything like that. Like, you know, and it just, it reinforces the importance for me to go out and over communicate certain things to certain groups, because as you said it earlier, when we were, we're talking about our fighters just the way they are. You know, they're going to sit around and, and we, we do come to our own conclusions pretty quick, sometimes right, sometimes wrong. Right. I think we're a lot of the, I'm kind of random, but I think a lot of where the senior leadership misses is that we get so frustrated at the top that we say, you know what, fuck it, I ain't going to, I ain't going to sit, I'm not going to exert all that time. Well, I mean, that is certainly a choice. Um, I'm not there at that point yet. I, I, I choose not to. Right. I, ch- I choose to go the other direction. You know, unfortunately, working in a small department, I can get away with it. If I was a big department, I, just, I don't know how, you you know, 
buddy of mine works in Palm Beach County, 2,000 firemen. I don't even know how you control that dynamic. Fortunately, I don't even try to even think about it because right. I don't have that problem. Well, I think part of the answer you said earlier was, you know, you say I've you, you said my experience has all been in paid departments. I never worked in volunteer, but the principles apply across the levels. So I think the principles apply across the numbers also. And yeah. you said it. I think you really articulated it well when you said it's easy to just just throw on the towel, but it's an active choice to not. And and so yes. and no true statement. Uh, beautiful stone expectations. Okay. We got a lot of people commenting amazing advice. And also, yeah, we got that one. Okay. Robert Ramirez says solid stuff, solid content, audio and video recordings are a great tool for personal growth and professional development. They provide perspective and allow us to read our label from the outside of the jar. Good analogy. Um, awesome. Howard Reinwald said stone expectations, 51 rules of engagement are in the East County fire. A promotional step is being able to recite his 51 rules of engagement. And he's answering, uh, a guy said, can you give a few more expectations you would hand out as an officer to the crew? So there's kind of two different categories, right? So you have expectations of an officer, okay? And then what uh, Chief Reinwald was mentioning was uh, rules of engagement, which are a little different, okay, but the same. Uh, rules of engagement, you know, and I can't take credit for it, quite honestly. You know, one of my close friends, Kurt Isaacson, started doing it many years ago. And then I'm not a smart guy. I don't reinvent the wheel. I saw what he was doing. We had many conversations. I said, well, that makes sense. Rules of engagement are centered around things that are so critically important that we need to do the same time every single time across the board to fight complacency and to be operational discipline, plain and simple. Nice. You know, as opposed to an expectation of an officer saying, hey, I expect you to be here to work at a certain time. I expect you to make sure your gear's on, on the floor, ready to go, blah, blah, blah. So they do kind of intertwine. Rules of engagement, at least in my application, I believe in Chief Wayne Rollins as well, is all the things that are so vitally important that we have to do. You know, you're going to wear your hood on gas leaks, period, point blank. Why? Because if shit blows up, at least most of your head is protected, whatever the case is, right? Um we're actually developing the, the rules of engagement right now in the Midway Fire District. We have yet to implement them. In my previous department, we did implement the rules of engagement across the board, which helped a lot on consistency. But they were all they were all the crazy little things that we fight complacency, right? Right. They could be the way we stretch. They could be the way we wear with gear. They could be the number of hand lights you're required to carry. They could be your tool assignments, your seat assignments, um, everything that includes it. Um, so they both they both intertwined together but they're but they're somewhat separate but they both fall in line with the expectations i guess you'd say i answered the question beautifully and i want to, marshall boyd also said i could listen to this and he put it in quotations rambling daily so you know it's very very good stuff to the notes pulling them up you have to have a similar value system to your firefighters or they are not going to trust you this is another quote i pulled from fire nuggets or yeah the nuggets so there's three things that I go over in the Nuggets class, and, and uh, there's a bunch of different ways to create influence. Um, three primary areas I've I found that I think work really well, and I think they work so well that when I was a chief at, you know, battalion chief in the city of Fort Wayne Beach, we actually implemented them into our leadership standard operating guideline. Nice. Three condition of influence is the trustworthiness, expertise, and attractiveness. Trustworthiness is that is building trust. A lot of things that we can do to build trust. And they continue to build trust. And, of course, we could tear it down in a very short time. Second condition of influence was expertise. And that's essentially knowing our job. And it's perhaps the most important one because the reality is, is that as a boss, as a leader, you have to lead your people into some very dangerous situations. And decisions and the things that you do at times could make a difference whether we get out in one piece or not. 
the, the last condition of influence to create in, yeah, the last to create influence is uh, attractiveness and the attractiveness is your value system. So the takeaway on that is that if your value system is not consistent with the people that you lead, don't be surprised if they don't trust you. If they don't trust you, don't be surprised if you don't create the influence. It's very, very simple. So if you believe in integrity, you believe in honesty, and the boss that you're leading is a shit, then don't be surprised when that boss doesn't create the influence they need to create. It's plain and simple. Now, the good news, here's the good news, is the vast majority, in my opinion, of firefighters are cut from the same mold. The vast majority of them have got to have, have a good value system. They may vary, but the, but the value system is consistent. It's good. And the vast majority of firefighters make a lot of mistakes, and they learn from them, and they get back on track. Uh, but the takeaway is I have, as I'm sure you and everybody else, there is, there is a small percentage in the fire service that, that, that severely lacks values. Right. Um, and those that do, it makes it extremely difficult for firefighters to follow and trust or to ever build the trust. So if you really want to affect influence, you really want to be that leader and you have to have a value system consistent with the people that you're leading. That's yeah. just my opinion. No, it's beautiful, man. Cause I've never, until I listened to that recording, I had never heard it or put in that, that frame of reference, you know, uh, it's, uh, you always hear about values, values, mission, vision, values, values, you have to have values, but the congruence of your values with those you are trying to lead and influence or build trust with is, is beautiful. Okay. I agree. Yeah, definitely. You have to, yes. How we react and pick ours. We've kind of touched on that when we screw up, because we all will, how we react is really what matters. Go for that one. I know we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I still wanted to get to another rambling in on that one. So one of the takeaways, uh, you know, I, I think I, w- I would apply this to the last probably seven, eight years, and maybe but definitely the last five to seven years is how you react. And, you know, and, and really the conversations that we have about it, they could be no different than the conversations you have with your kids. You know, I've got three kids. I've got a a, uh, a daughter uh, who's 22. I've got a son who's 16 and a son who's 13. I've had many conversations with them about how you react. You know, we're going to make mistakes. And I tell firemen all the time, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes in your life. You're going to make mistakes in the fire ground. But the question is, is what are you going to do? We all heard that before, but there's no, no truer statement, and especially for leaders, how we react and what we do is not only important to get back on the right track, but I mentioned it earlier, it's important because everybody's watching. Right. So how I react to the father, you know, and what I do um, is, is, is a huge deal because my three, my three children are watching me and, and they're most likely are going to mimic my behavior and my wife's behavior and how we handle these issues. It's no different at the firehouse, you know, and for me in the last five or six, seven years, I've really, really thought about how I react. So, you know, we all have emotional triggers, right? Sure. Those emotional triggers are things that, you know, you immediately, as soon as you start talking, they're going to, they're going to put you on edge. You know, it, certainly right now, politics is probably one of the biggest ones. I was having a discussion with my wife. It doesn't take but two seconds before it puts somebody off, you know, off on edge when they're talking about it. whatever it is at the firehouse, whatever those emotional triggers are, we have to be prepared as leaders at how we're going to react. So I'll give you an example. And most likely the guy's probably not going to be watching this, but he's an awesome dude. He's our union president. His name is Rick. The dude is, the dude is super squared away and we've got a great relationship, but he's kind of like me. He's, he's kind of driven. He has his opinion, man. And if you, you step on the wrong thing, he's going to tell you, sure. which I love and I respect about the guy because it makes my job a lot easier. 
But equally, I got to do the same thing with him. Right. So the last months, I mean, we've had a couple conversations and we both kind of stepped on each other's toes. And, and we and, and, you know, and it's, it's like, well, how are you going to react? Shannon? It's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to react emotionally? Which is never going to get you anywhere, because right. quite honestly, both he and I see things the same way. We really do. Like he at the end of it, we, we actually do. But the question is, is if I respond emotionally or I immediately respond without thinking now, where now what position am I going to be in? Right. Where is my communication and my relationship platform with, with this guy? All based on an emotional response, right? So I use that as an example, but I think that's kind of a parallel with a lot of what we do, especially, listen, especially if you're that motivated mid-level guy. When I say mid-level guy, I'm going to define him as a, the 10 to 15-year guy, right? Right. That you've been around long enough, you've gained a, a great amount of experience, you're really getting past a dangerous stage. I'm going to call the danger stage about seven years. Okay. You really think what you're doing, but you got a lot to learn. You get to the 15, you're like, oh, man, okay, I really kind of get it now. That's when you're super influence starts to really kick in in my opinion if you really know what you're doing your your ethical values in the firehouse are good your operational stuff is squared away and good at about 15 year mark your influence just skyrockets what i don't think people take into consideration is it skyrockets down people look up to you they follow you they want to do what you do they listen to you have you given much thought to how it skyrockets up right right so think about so that equal influence, we don't think about it, but the guys at the top are watching as well. But how we handle our relationships going up and our emotional responses going up may just totally shut down that communication line with them. Right? Oh, Does that make beautiful. sense? Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, you go back to the question we asked earlier, what would you do differently? That would probably be one of the biggest things I would do differently is if somebody could tell me, say, hey, man, slow your roll a little bit, baby. Think about what you're going to say. Like, you're right. You get it. You're upset. But how are you going to communicate it so those guys – understand that it's important for them to hear we're we in the fire service the guys that are driven like all of us it, it's the same story man and and in our defense and their defense well when you give a shit about it that's the way we react just understand that the way you react and the, the, the reaction you get back don't be surprised i mean it's it, it's there's one thing i'll say now that i've said for like the last seven or eight years and i think it has to do with just getting older and reflecting and looking back the behavior of firefighters is very predictable I, I love that. I love that. Go ahead. I want you to expound. Well, I mean, it's kind of like being a parent, right? Have you ever talked to one of those parents that's raised kids? Right. You know, they're giving you advice, and they'll tell you the same thing. They're like, well, you know, we've already raised kids. We, right. we kind of tell you what to expect on most things. Not everything, but most things. Sure. You know, and if you're smart, if you're smart, you listen to them. Like, I can tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go into a rabbit hole. So I had my neighbor. He lives right behind me here. He's probably about 20 years older than me, maybe a little less. He's had five kids. And I remember having a conversation with him about 12, 13 years ago. He says, man, if there's one thing I would do differently is I would eliminate negative kids out of my lives. If I just got a gut feeling, they're done. They're gone. They're dead to me. I'll move them. I'll deal with them. And since then, since then, whenever I have even an inclination that there's a negative influence on one of my kids, I just remove their friends. I like to think I've been right so far, but, you know, so what if I'm not? I'm the parent. When they turn 18, they can make their own decisions. But the point being is that the point I'm getting at is I listened to somebody who went down the road 20 years before me, right? No, 100%. Is is it any different in the fire service? Now, the the senior guys don't always get it right, but I'm going to let you in a little secret. They do get it right most of the time. You just may not quite understand their perspective, but most of the time they get it right. So when they say something, it's worthy of, 
wow, well, let me think about that a second. Maybe let me vet that off somebody else. And if you vet it off of another senior guy, you, you'll figure it out really quickly whether it's the right thing or not. Wow. No, I saw it, man. I love it. Dude, I'm telling you, there's so much. Uh, lots of questions coming. Uh, I don't know what, what kind of time frame you were on. Uh, yes, solid. Trying to ask questions. Yeah, James Denny put it real good. Trying to ask questions, but it's being answered as y'all go along. This is gold. Man, there is a lot of gold here. Um, we do. Yeah, everyone rotates. I like it. Okay, so I want to. I want to move. I'm gonna. I want to ask a question because I wanted. To, I always research, like I say, my guests coming on, and so I asked. But I wanted. I heard about your tattoos, basically. That you have tattoos, and each tattoo has a story. I don't. However much detail you want to go into on them. Um, I do actually. Well, I mean, I'm, I, the guys that know me, I've, I've got. I, I hide them well, I guess, but. You know, I'm, I'm pretty tattooed up, but yeah, they do. They really do. And, and this arm here, I know you guys can't see it, but this arm here is kind of like my fire department arm. And I've got things tattooed and I can tell you, you know, just about everybody who's watching this will know what FTM PTB means, you know, in the fire service, you know, and I got that in a point in my career about 10 years ago where I was done, man. I was done with the fire service, but I was done. I got to think about how I'm going to word this, but I can say it, I guess. I was done, I was done with, with the fucking mutts, man. I, I was done with the bullshit, and I wasn't taking it anymore. And, I'm, and you know, so for, and anybody who has tattoos will tell you, most people that have tattoos will tell you they're kind of your life story, you know. So I can't really show you on this, but my tattoos are the same way. If you were to look at it, I could tell you where I was at in my career and what I was thinking and everything else. And I don't regret a single one of them. Awesome. I don't because they, they, they tell a story and, you know, and people that don't like tattoos, that's cool. Good on you, man. You do you, I do me. I don't have a problem with it, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, uh, as a chief, you know, I hide them well. Another reason other than the fact that I respect, I respect the rank, I respect the position. And, you know, my father was a fireman and uh, he retired as an operations chief, as a deputy chief of operations. And I, I, I grew up watching him and the other chiefs and the way they dressed and the way they conducted themselves. And I guess that, uh, you know, took it from him. And I, I do the same thing that he does in respecting the position. Um, and I'm proud to say my brother does the same thing as a battalion awesome. chief. No, that's but awesome. Yeah, they're, they're, they're free tattoos, man. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Just tattoos. Every one of them has a story. Uh, Everybody, everybody's got them anymore, right? Uh, I always like to ask the guests if they have a book or books that they think firefighters should read. Yeah, man, there's so many good ones out there, but I'll, I'll tell you my favorite one, you know, the last so many years is uh, Chief Scott Thompson's oh, Functional cool. Fire Company. You know, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Chief Thompson uh, several years back, you know, and in and, and this new position, I've reached out to him. He's he's kind of been a mentor of mine. He shared with me stuff, you know, uh, his, his book is nothing short of amazing. What he did in his book is his philosophy and his outlook it was like I was reading my own stuff, except he was way smarter than me. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, that's what I've been talking about. I'm like, oh, that's how we can apply. So, I mean, it's, and it's all centered around the most critical part of the American Fire Service. It's the functional fire company, which for me, um, you know, uh, I, I am critical on chiefs, even though I'm a chief, that I, I do think uh, we lose sight of that at times. Um, and, and Chief Thompson and his book and the way he lays it out, you know, for me, has motivated me as a chief to make sure uh, that I don't lose sight of it because, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's why we do what we do to support, you know, the guys in the streets. It has nothing to do with anything else other than when they're in the streets, 
on the most complicated thing, they have the resources and the training and everything to do to hopefully position them to make a difference. And his book is all centered around how to do that. So I would encourage anybody, whether it's a company officer, or certainly at a, at a chief level, um, to read the book. It's, it's, it's hands down one of my favorites. And I guess secondary to that, when you start talking about leadership and communication is any of John Maxwell's books, you know, 21 irrefutable laws of leadership Nice. has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the American fire service has everything to do with leading human beings, which is what we do. Right. So, Preach. So those are probably the, my, my two top current ones. Yeah. No, dude, I used to, you, get, you get me going on Functional Fire Company. I honestly think that it should be mandatory reading for every firefighter in the American Fire Service. So, I think it should be mandatory reading for every chief in the fire service. I bought one for all my battalion chiefs. Nice, nice, very nice. Um, moving, and, and of course, like you said, Maxwell, everything Maxwell does is gold. Uh, I do like his leadership gold. In fact, he wrote it like 20, it's like, I don't know, it's like his 80th book or something, but it encapsulates a whole lot of his other ones into one book. Um mm-hmm. So here we are. Sorry, man. I'm, I'm like still reeling from everything. Uh, so much, so much knowledge, so much rambling that it was awesome, man. So many rabbit holes. Uh, on the on the scrap every week, we do a thing. It's called the five questions for firefighters. Uh, there are no correct answers. There are just your opinions, and the answers are completely your opinions. Um, the points are handed out by me, and they're completely arbitrary. So, Chief Shannon Stone, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Yeah, man, I'll do my best. All right, here we go. Question number one. What is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? Oh, that's easy, man. Training. It always is, and it always will be, plain and simple. It is It is what, It is the foundation of what we should do um, and what we need to do. It, it's really simple, you know, and, and the challenge is, is it's, God, you can break it into so many challenges. You can say it's a generational challenge, but I don't know if that would apply because 15, 20 years now, you're going to have the same discussion and say it's a generational challenge. You can say it's an organizational challenge because every organization's hold different different uh, expectations. Um, you can say it's systemic in the fire service uh, because, you know, I said in Portland years ago when I was so lucky that, you know, Cody asked me to, to – speak out there kind of like you asking me here i didn't know why i got there but i was going to jump on it but i said i said at the firemanship conference i said you know if if chiefs would value accountability over loyalty and put training their higher priorities that's the day you're going to start seeing the line of duty deaths in the american fire service decrease i honestly sincerely believe that no that's anybody wants to argue anybody wants to argue the fact just just look at the i'm a kind of a facts data driven type dude especially more so as as i move on throughout my career but look look at the facts look at since we've been recording since the 70s and why we've been dying it's if, if you know why we've been dying it should piss every firefighter off in this country because of the fact that they are predictable which means they are preventable we all know this right so i go back to your original question what's the most important thing in the american fire service Training, Dude. or maybe it should be accountability. Maybe it should be expectations. But the, I think the real challenge is is how to get everybody to understand that they have to be really good. Maybe you can't be. Not everybody can be Tom Brady, but everybody can be really good. No, and the, I love and, it. and the gap from being average to being really good is simple. It's work. Where does the work come from? The expectations of the organization. 
Damn, this is like a keynote right here, man. I love it, dude. 100% max points. Uh, just facts, yes. Kyle said it, facts. There's a bomb flying by, a uh, truth bomb. Um, max points easily, and I just completely lost my train of thought as I read ev- what everybody's saying to you. The um, that I always have to write down the time frame of when someone does that because that's probably going to be the sound bite for the for the promo of the of the podcast that was beautiful sir okay uh i'm sidetracked number two what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting training i like the tie-in i like the tie-in no i'm serious think about it like you know i mean listen i'm gonna use you as an example man uh you know (laughs) your podcast is gonna be going as training in, in my fire department i mean the individuals the heavy hitters you bring on here you know, I'll mention, I said Kyle earlier, you know, he's my most recent example. I was literally talking to somebody today. I said, dude, I'm going to send this out to my department. Like, you know, the UL studies are cool, but what's even cooler is when a guy and drink a cup of coffee, listen to two guys talk and, and recite studies and how they play into interior attack and how it affects the, the environment and all that. That's exciting, man, you know, because of the fact that what our firefighters have access to in training these days is so much different than what it was when I went through in 1989. Oh, without and a doubt. Not only that, I think the encouraging thing, too, is it is it you know, I mean, my perspective is here in the panhandle of Florida in the A50 area from Pensacola to Tallahassee area. So, I mean, it may be a little bit skewed, but my excitement, you know, as a guy that's on a tail in his career is seeing a lot of these young guys, you know, just like I mentioned today, the guys calling me at the station want to come by and look at hose loads of stuff. I mean, you know, these are young guys. They're in their 30s. They're young. They're, they're, they're the most pivotal leaders in, our, in the American fire service right now. And these guys are excited, enthusiastic. They're seeking education. They're getting on social media. So, yeah, I would say the training is training is, is one of the toughest issues, but, you know, it's one of the most exciting issues because we've never been in an environment or a time in our country where the guys have just immediate access uh, to some of the most phenomenal training, you know, and this podcast being a great example. The tough part is, is navigating the bullshit. Yes. Because, uh Talk about, you know, the credibility and how fire engineering and firehouse magazine used to be the ones that vetted right. the information they got out. You know, it's it's totally out the window. It's kind of like journalism. Yep. Since Anybody. journalism used to be objective and just shared the facts. Now it's their fucking truth. What the fuck is that? It's the same thing in the fire service that's happening. So it can be a double-edged sword. But training, training, in my opinion, for the next generation is the most exciting thing because of, of the opportunity that exists in front of them and what we can do with it i love it i love the way you tied it back into the first answer and just kind of the 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 flip side of the coin almost uh, in in uh beautiful number three pulling it up like i haven't done these enough to know best rank or position to be in in the fire service that's easy man it's company officer for me at least for me you know i mentioned earlier that i spent you know nine almost ten years as captain best Hands down, best time of my career, man. Oh, 100%. You know, I look back, you know, I tell guys all the time, I tell firefighters all the time, you know, your parents, you ever had your parents tell you, like, man, you ever tell you, say, man, you don't know how good you got it. Right. <laughs> yes. You ain't got no bills. You'll play basketball, you know, go surfing, ride a half pipe, whatever you're doing. Firefighters are the same way. And captains and then lieutenants, company officers, the same way. I look back, man, and I forget, you know, and I just find myself, like, at that age <laughs> in my life and in my career where, you know, I'd be, I'd be lying to you, man, if I wasn't doing a lot of reflecting and looking back and going, damn, man, if I could go back. I mean, I'm good where I'm at. I'm right, happy. I'm right. Good. 
You know, I mean, I, I, I'm so blessed where I'm at, but like, can I just go back to being in my thirties and being a captain on a rig again? Like that was so unbelievably fun. Like for me, if you like, if you like kind of leading, influencing, impacting people's lives, if you like yes. the guy being on the tip of the spear, decisions that are time compressed, um, you like that kind of adrenaline rush. Yeah, man, there is no question about it. There is no question about it. I'm not downplaying what anybody else thinks. No. That's just that's my favorite position is being a boss on a rig with the guys all day long. No, no the relationships you can form it, when you go when you promote above that, it's it's. I don't want to say so much more work, it, it, but it, there's more effort involved. It's not effortless it, when you're when you're riding that rig with them. Uh, lack of a better term, just farting on each other in a rig and spending that time together, man. Uh, sorry, you get me rambling about it. But company officer is always max points. Anybody who knows me knows that I could. Like, you're preaching at the choir when you told me that answer. So everything you said I 1,000% think is the God's truth about company officer. Well, if you, if you look back at your career and you like, you, you know, all the stories come from a certain part of your career, then that's probably going to be the best one. For me, it's when I was a company officer. Like, I've got so many stories, and I try to not to be that guy, man. You know, that senior guy is like, well, let me tell you. Right. Let me tell you what happened on this day. But you find yourself falling into it, and most of mine come from when I was a boss on a rig working with, you know, several different groups over my nine or ten years. Just phenomenal experiences, man, that, you know, that, you know. Yeah, man, it, 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 it's it's the shit. No, hundred percent. You can't say it better than that. Go back to a certain extent, to be honest with you. Now, if you get the time machine, I'm I'm jumping in and going with. <laughs> uh, best advice you have ever received, man. That's a tough one. I would probably say the best advice that I ever received, as basic as it sounds, is to attach yourself to someone who's a good person who knows the job. So, you know, I think most people have probably heard this, this, this type of analogy, you know, if you surround yourself with, you know, five piss poor firefighters, five piss poor leaders, you'll become the six. Nice. You surround yourself with five great leaders, five great firefighters. You'll become the six, you know, um, and that's hand in hand with attach yourself, find that person in your department on your company. And it may not even be in your department. It may be somebody outside your department, attach yourself to them and learn from them. And, and keep in mind too, for young guys that are watching this, it's not just about um, the fire service. It's not just about what you know on the job. It's about developing as a young man into an older man, you know, and, and I will tell you for me, it was a big deal. You know, I, I learned a lot from my father, but you know, when I got in the fire department from the time I was 19 to the time I was 30 years old, I tremendous, I learned a tremendous amount um, from the men, the older men that I worked find those people and attach yourself to them. Listen, is that any different advice that you'd give your son or your daughter? It goes no, back to what I said. Yeah. Earlier, man, if I influence my kid's life, they're not old enough to understand that shit yet. I'm removing it physically, whatever it takes, it's not going to be there because once they become 18 or 19, I'm not going to be able to do that. Right. So take that same analogy, right. As, as a, as an adult firefighter and you surround yourself with the right people and you pick those people, it's all a choice. It's decisions, period. Excuses are out the window. You can make excuse to make it happen, but you can't do both. Right. So, yes. So the advice would be is to find that, find that one or two or three people, and attach yourself to them, surround yourself 
with the right people. If you go down a bad path in your career as a firefighter, you said it earlier, look in the mirror who you're sitting around with. I've got guys that I grew up with. I grew up kind of in a, I grew up kind of in a tough way. Me and my brother did, you know, and I had a group of friends that went the road to the left and I took the road to the right and the road to the right led to the fire service and where I'm at today. And the road to the left led, led to jail and some very bad things for my friends. It's decisions yourself with the right people. Nice. Nice. Hey, I try, I try very hard. Not to just make the five questions just max points, max points, max points, max points. You are making it very easy to give max points today with your uh, answers. Number five, final question. And actually, I'm going to do a bonus question after this. But uh, if you have time, you have to tell me if you have to go. Otherwise, I'll talk all night. Uh, Number five, heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? That's easy, man. Anybody who knows me said, no, I'm going to choose a nozzle. I don't know why. I'm an engine guy. I, I, I you know, the, the two areas that uh, that I, I consider kind of my strengths in the fire service is, is one has to do with, you know, kind of the leadership aspect. And the other has to do with engine operations. And although I rode a ladder that doesn't matter most of my career, you know, in suburban America, man, we do, you know, most of it was, man, and I've just, I've gravitated to it. Um, I was so lucky uh, seven, eight years ago to be invited into the Andy Fredericks FDIC engine group, you know, and it just, it, it furthered my passion for the engine stuff. Cause I've been surrounded by guys through Andy's group and then through Steve Robertson's group with stretching for success. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, uh, I'm, I hate to say it. I mean, I've, I've kind of, been, I've been on both ends. I've been in the search and find the victims and I've been on the nozzle, but if you gave me a choice, uh, Man, I'm on the nozzle all day long, dude. It's, it's a no-brainer. You know? Fair. That's fair. That's why. There's, I, and that's the thing. What's that now? If we're not doing the nozzle shit, then the guys in the truck ain't making the rescues or whoever the engine or whoever it is. So. I love it. And again, last question. There's no right answer. I just love hearing people's reasons for which one they prefer. So I just love hearing the passion in it, man. Uh yeah, there's so many people yelling nozzle pipe, nozzle. Yeah, put me on the pipe. The nozzle creates and maintains searchable space. Put the fire out. Everything gets better. Yeah, you know, for me, for me, I mean, I agree with everything like that, but I don't know what it is, man. It's the excitement. It's as goofy as it sounds. I've had some discussions with my 16 year old son. He's thinking about this, and I said, "Man, I said, aside from it being a good job, I said, you know, it's it's exciting. There are things you get to do that other people would never experience. And for me, on the nozzle, for all the guys watching, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Hundred I mean, percent. You know, making the push and zero visibility and then either having to stop and listen and go the right direction. As you get closer, the glow gets more and then you can hear it louder. And then when you hit it, you know, it's just for me, it's just exciting, man. I mean, not to downplay the rescue part, but that's just exhilarating for me. And that's the fun part. Like I, I used to I'm getting sidetracked, but I'm going to say it anyways. I used to tell yep. guys all the time. Always some dude would just come into an interview, like, why do you want to be a fireman? You'll hear this, well, I want to I want to serve, I want to protect, I want to help my citizens. I want somebody to just come in and say, you know what, man? I just want to ride a fire truck, listen to sirens, and go into burning buildings. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, you get it. And I probably and I want to say this is that uh everybody in this audience that's listening right now gets it exactly. You don't have to explain it to any of us because mutts don't watch the scrap. That's just what it comes <laughs> down to. That's a good so. point. Uh, I have a bonus question. Not it's not it's not associated, but I was I need to ask you this question. And like three or four people have asked me to ask it. It's ask him, and it's coming from Romagus. He said, "Ask him about preparing to your children's standards." 
If you got time to ramble one more time. Man, I'm good. I got half a drink. I'm good. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, there's a part I do in my class, and, and I can't tell you exactly uh, where and how I came about. I really can't. I can't pinpoint in my career. Obviously, most likely after I started having children. I mentioned earlier that I got three children. I got a 22-year-old daughter. Her name is Michaela. I got a 16-year-old son. His name is Jordan. And I've got a, a 13-year-old boy. His name is a lot of guys school and sports call him Stoney. Um, but obviously, as one would expect, my world revolves around them. Absolutely. Nice. That's them and a couple of our close friends, right? So I tell guys all the time, the reality is, is that you have to size yourself up by your children's standards, you know, because we struggle with operational discipline and complacency throughout our career. But what you shouldn't struggle with is if somebody was trapped and they were the one you loved and you got a phone call today and your entire world crumbled because they were gone. Um, that's something that's easy for everybody to wrap their head around. And for us, it's a little bit more difficult because what we do in the fire service is that we deal with all these horrific things. We really do. And, and most of us deal with them pretty well, but part of the way we, we kind of compartmentize them, we move on with life and we don't, we definitely don't intermingle our family with it. We can't because as soon as you start doing this, then it becomes very difficult. And, and you can define that if you want to get down to the weeds of it is post-traumatic stress, not post-traumatic stress, you know, disorder, but post-traumatic stress. Most, if not all firefighters live with a level of post-traumatic stress. Absolutely. That's defined as the anxiety of, of worrying about something that's going to happen to your, to your loved ones. More to it, that's essentially the, the thing of it. So, I mean, I can relate to that. Uh, I have been very fortunate that I haven't suffered PTSD. I mean, I, I've handled it very well. But I'll tell you right now that post-traumatic stress on a fucking daily basis. I've got my family on a 360. When I hear a call go out in my district, I'm looking to see where they're at. Vehicle with that, you know, with uh, extrication, I'm checking. So it happens, right? So that whatever that case is, you take that person, you put them in that spot, and if they're there. So the question you need to ask yourself is that if, you know, if – you know, your kid, Michaela, Jordan or Caleb are trapped, you know, um, and you had to go get them. I tell people this in my class, you had to go get them in 30 minutes. I mean, what would you do? How important would everything become for you at that point? Right. So bitching about what the chief did or didn't do. Nice. How important is that? How about that air pack you checked this morning? Right. It was 200 pounds low. Is How important is that 200 pounds now? Is it really uh, that important? Yeah. Well, it becomes pretty important. Dude, How about I love that. Your gear, right. Is, is presetting your gear important? Yeah, it becomes important. Well, what about your what about your suspenders, right? You just put your suspenders between your boots because you're in a hurry. How many times have you stepped in your boots? Your suspenders are between. How important is it to put it on the outside of your boots now? How important is it to put that radio strap so that you put your radio strap on before you put your coat on, right? How important is your 20-second mask up time, which happens to be our standard in the Midway Fire District? How important is it now? The point being is that all of these things we will downplay very easily until you take a loved one and you put them in that position. So in my classes, I talk heavily about that because I believe in it. It's not a bullshit line. It's what it's what I live by. The guys, the station that I stopped by this afternoon to take a look at their hose load and to talk to them about different options. That is the first two company in my house that I'm sitting in now. Wow. So it is extremely important that these guys everywhere, every opportunity I have is to get them to understand that because the reality is, right, for those of you guys that are watching that are fortunate enough to watch Ray McCormick's 
FDI speech years ago. Yes, he yes. talks about pulling up, right? What does he say? He says, I love it, man. I, I told Ray this countless times. I said, man, I got to tell you, man, I bite your shit all the time. I know you don't like it, but I'm using it. I give him credit for it, but he's right. He's like, when you pull up, your chances are 50-50, right? It's not like, was it searchable? Was it survival? Was it this? No, it's fucking 50-50. It's period. You're either going to do it or you're gonna do it, not going to do it. The question you got to answer, you got to ask yourself is, are you mentally and physically prepared? Are you trained enough to put yourself in that 50% that gives you the confidence and the ability to affect the rescue? I think that's the biggest question, you know, and it all goes back down to preparation. It all ties down into your children's standards. Are you prepared to rescue your child? Because anytime you have a discussion with anybody and they downplay it and you say, well, it was your kid. What are they going to say? No, it's not that important. Bullshit, they're not going to say that. It, it may not be your kid or may it may be your kid. But if it isn't your kid, it's somebody's kid and the decisions that we make is going to make a difference in somebody's life for the rest of their life, the rest of their life. I've always told guys all the time, man, I've gone through my career and I've been involved in a bunch of stuff, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever you want to fucking call it, it doesn't matter. But the reality is, is the ones that we've done everything that we know that we could do and they didn't survive, I'm good with. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I'm not good with it, but I'm okay with it. I live with it. Right. You know, because we did everything we could. For me, maybe not everybody else, I process in a way where I go on and I live my life just fine. It's just, it's part of life. For the ones that you know that they died and you weren't prepared, and every experienced firefighter has got more Preach. You know, then a minute on the job, they can tell you a story and they won't because they'll probably get choked up when they do. It's tough to fucking live with, man. It's tough to live with, you know, because the fact that we know deep down we could have done something different that could have made somebody survive or not. And it all directly ties into your children's standards and how do you size them up. Wow. So I'm sorry I went way long, but that's that's basically that's no, you I can, yeah. the story. You talk to anybody that works with me, they're going to tell you the same thing. I talk about it all the time, so... No, uh, I'm glad that that Kyle uh, brought it back up to ask him about the children's standards because it was on our nose. They just didn't quite get there because we were going down rabbit holes. And so when he brought it up, I I am so glad that I asked that question because uh, the person actually who I feel sorry for now is next week. Eight days from now, Jay Bonifield is coming on to talk and he has to follow up this scrap because it has been an amazing scrap. And so that is a, this is, this is going to be a tough act to follow. So chief, yes, man, uh, I'm not often speechless. Like I like to listen, but holy crap, this was, this was awesome. Uh, best place to contact you, reach out, uh, you're traveling now and speaking again. So book a class, whatever, go. Um, you know, I'm not actually doing it a whole lot, to be honest with you. I'm doing it a few. We'll be at Firehouse Expo with Steve Robertson and Stretching for Success class. I'm, I'm part of their group. Um, FDIC as well. Um, I tell you what is kind of unique though, as uh, you met my younger brother, DJ, yes. um, we do a class called the anatomy of a rescue. And there's uh, uh, two uh, recorded video tape recorded rescues that happened in the city of Fall beach within a few years of each other. One was in 2015 in an apartment fire that I was instant commander on. And the other was about a year and a half ago on Valentine's day, where he was a captain of a very dramatic rescue that, uh, um, has really made its rounds because it's really caused a lot of the fire service to look at the survivability of spaces. But we do a class and it's called the anatomy of rescue. And what we do is we break it down into two areas. And most of it's centered around preparation. What I do as a battalion chief 
to prepare my companies to succeed on a on a rescue, a VES, or any type of uh, uh, fire entrapment call. And then what he did does as a captain that, that kind of builds off of what we do as battalion chiefs. Um, so we're doing this class called the Anatomy of a Rescue. Nice. Um, we've done it at a couple of different conferences, but we're doing it at FDIC this year, which uh, unfortunately has been rescheduled again for the third time. So hopefully everybody can make it down there. Um, but that's really the only plug I got, man. I mean, with this new job, I haven't been doing a whole lot of teaching, but uh, I'll be out at Firehouse Expo, uh, FDIC. Um, and for anybody who may be up in um, uh, Indiana, South Bend, Indiana, I'm going up there with uh, uh, Chris Stretch Martin. And we're doing at the Lake Effect Conference with uh, Ron Smith and Steve Robertson. We're doing some things up there in May. So Kick that's ass. really it, man. Other than that, I'm just focused on the, you know, taking care of business and doing stuff here locally. Chief and stuff. My new position. Right on. Chief right stuff. On. Yeah. Chief and as, stuff. as Chief Isaacson, Kurt would say, the dark side. Whatever the dark is. side. I like it. No, the, uh, Chief, that's awesome. And I am going to be at FDIC, and I am going to catch that anatomy of a rescue. So that'll be awesome to see you and your brother do that. Uh, awesome. Uh I always like to do this recently. Pruitt, David Pruitt came by and he gave me a challenge coin. It is for a DPS that he works at. And so this is my first DPS coin. And they have their have honor, be loyal, serve always is the fireside motto there. And it's a pretty cool challenge coin. It will be added to my collection. As always, if you want me to show off your coin, send it to me. Of course, Shane Bentley last week sent me a care package. I posted the thing. He sent me so much. I mean, that guy, uh, amazing. He's got the uh, code of honor on the back. Hard to see. My camera will not focus. But the Bears of the Oath, the BOTO, and the amazing things those guys are doing, which I think they're doing three conferences this year. So that's going to be amazing. Um, housekeeping is, I already said, Jay Bonafield's coming up next week. After that, David Mellon, Valor Fire Training, then John Lovato. Uh, so it's an exciting April moving forward. Um, housekeeping stuff is talking about the honor the fallen firefighter conference that is the conference that i am putting together to it's a benefit conference for the families of the wayne oka firefighters that perished doing that search on those uh, uh up there in wayne oka oklahoma in january uh all of the speakers are lined up unbelievable lineup coming uh howard ronwald kyle romagus chief scott thompson i'm uh rob uh rodriguez uh sean duffy Pablo again. I'm trying to do it all from memory, and I'm leaving Jeremy Sanders. Uh, I'm going to leave people out as I as I cycle through it. Uh, Mark Davidson. It's it's going to be an amazing time. And then with the hands on training, uh, the registration should be up next week. So be ready for that. Uh, we're getting the hot tracks lined out. The speakers are lined up. The venue is lined up. Already, we've got Kurt Isaacson is as passed out is going to give CF Tactics swag and a pass to, or passes to conferences to 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 raffle off. Uh, Smoothbore Cartel is sending swag. The uh, there's uh, Brian Lafleur is making a badass custom leather fire bucket to be raffled off, and I haven't even started reaching out yet for stuff to raffle. This is this is stuff coming in of people offering before we've even started reaching out. So it's going to be amazing. So if you want to help, reach out on Facebook, contact me, please. Uh, final stuff. Um, I keep getting comments. People sending me. Yes, my face is all marked up. It's I roll jujitsu almost every day, and sometimes people, uh, sometimes I don't tap when I should, and I get bruises on the face. So um, I'm not getting in fights because uh, that's the comments I get quite a bit. Uh, other than that, Chief Shannon Stone, this was an amazing scrap. So uh, I can't say thank you enough for spending your evening with me. 
Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, man. And uh, keep doing great things, man. You're really, you're really making an impact. And thanks for having me on. I, I really, really appreciate it. It was a blast, sir. And for everybody, thank you so much for the comments, the questions. It truly makes the scrap great. Uh, Rob Ramirez, thank you for correcting me. And for everyone watching, I hope the tone stays silent. Unless it's burning, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.